Welcome to the 13th edition of HGF's Fashionably IP podcast. My name's Rebecca Field. I'm a chartered trademark attorney at IP law firm HGF, and I'm joined by my colleague Lee Curtis, also a chartered trademark attorney at HGF. Hello, and we're going to do something different uh, with this edition, Rebecca, uh, to those podcasts that have gone before. Indeed, today we have a very special guest, which is exciting. However, firstly, let us get through the boring bits of things that we have to say at the start of all of our podcasts. To be clear, this podcast is not legal advice. And if you have any queries on the points we have raised, please contact us directly at either rfield at hgf.com or lee at alcurtis at hgf.com or indeed contact our guest who will be, will be revealed soon. This podcast is the first in a series of three podcasts on key aspects of trademark law and practice in the UK and EU with, of course, a fashion spin. Our plan is to have two more episodes of these podcasts on key aspects of trademark law. And of course, yes, again, it will always have that fashion spin. So uh, who is our special guest, Rebecca? And what are we going to talk about in this episode of Fashionably IP? Well, in this 13th podcast, we are going to talk about goodwill. Goodwill is key to the enforcement of common law passing off rights in the UK and many other common law countries across the globe. Our special guest is Michael Edenborough KC. Michael is one of the leading IP barristers in the UK. He is a member of Searle Court Chambers in London and was called to the bar in 1992 and became a Queen's Counsel, now King's Counsel, in 2010. Michael has been involved in many of the leading IP cases in the UK. I think it apt to read a quote from Legal 500 on Soul Court's website, which summarises Michael up perfectly. Michael's strengths are his wide but detailed knowledge of IP law and ability to find ways through complex issues. As an advocate, he is calm, measured and clear in his submissions and responses to questions from the bench one of the best KCs at the IP bar, particularly for trademark work. Lee and I definitely agree with that summary on all fronts for the cases we have engaged Michael on, and we are very thankful for Michael agreeing to take part in this podcast. So, do you have anything to add to that glowing quote, Michael? Well, thank you very much indeed for that, Becky. Not really. It's far too um, generous. But I think it's important to recognise that even though I might be at the sharp end of the stick, so to speak, in court, the way in which a case is presented depends upon the hard work of everybody else who's in the team who has helped um, prepare the case throughout the whole matter. Thank you, Michael. Uh, We are going to talk about goodwill. So I will kick off with the first question. What exactly is goodwill, Michael, in the UK? Goodwill is a business asset, and according to a classic quote, it is the attractive force that brings in customers. So, Michael, is it incorrect to refer to an unregistered trademark? Strictly, yes. Under English law, there's no such thing as an unregistered trademark. The correct term is an indicium, which refers to the distinctive get-up under and by reference to which a business trades. It is the unique identifier of the business's goods and services to its customers. The distinctive get-up can be almost anything. Typically, it would be a word mark, but more exotically, it can be something like, for example, a characteristic jingle, think of direct line insurance, 
or a smell, Chanel number five, or even the position on a, of a mark on a piece of clothing. Think of the North Face mark on the right shoulder of a jacket. So is it possible to assign goodwill? Yes, goodwill can be assigned, but strictly only along with the business with which it is associated. It cannot be divorced from that business. There is, though, some current debate about how this should be um, interpreted in the modern way of doing business, in particular when you have a relationship between a holding company and a trading company. So we're going to talk about some of the advantages, uh, Michael, of relying on goodwill later. But in your eyes, what are the weaknesses of relying on goodwill and passing off in any enforcement action compared to registered trademark protection? I've often heard the saying that passing off is easy to allege and hard to enforce. Do you agree with such a statement or do you think the disadvantages of passing off are overblown? Well, I think you're absolutely right in the sense that passing off is easy to allege and is often very difficult to actually enforce. And the reason for that is because you have to prove absolutely everything. Passing off is an unregistered right, and so therefore you need to prove that there's a protectable goodwill, you need to prove that there's a misrepresentation, and you need to prove that there's damage. And all of that requires evidence, and that therefore is expensive. That's exactly one of the reasons why in 1875 the first Trademark Act was passed, was to reduce the cost of such enforcements. So if we turn that to the world of fashion, Michael, it is often very popular to bring back to life old fashion brands um, where use may have actually ceased many years ago. Can you explain um, to the audience what residual goodwill is and what criteria the courts follow in determining whether a brand can benefit from that residual goodwill? Well, an analogy here is probably useful. It's because goodwill is rather sort of alive and organic in the way in which it feeds upon the trading activity of a business. If you don't continually trade and therefore continually feed the goodwill, it starts to die. And so if a business stopped trading a while ago, then that original historical goodwill will slowly fade away, and that's the residual goodwill. And after a while, there will be no residual goodwill left, so it's died completely. If that's the case, you then need to start again. But if there's still some residual goodwill, you can use that to enforce your rights. So many fashion brands are the names of the founding designer, for example, Indeed, we have touched on this subject before with our previous podcast where we touched on the Elizabeth Emanuel case. Do you think there is any particular issues in establishing goodwill in a personal name or do you think that they are exactly the same as any other brand with regards to the establishment of goodwill in an associated business? And I guess following on from that question, is it easier for such designer names to be distinguished from other brands? Well, to answer the first question first, exactly the same principles apply in the fashion trade as it does to any other trade uh, with respect to the creation of a protectable goodwill. However, each industry has its own quirks. And the way in which the fashion industry works is that sometimes you have a very, very characteristic name, for example, Packer Rabanne. And that, therefore, is 
automatically that much more distinctive and therefore easier to protect. Also, in the fashion industry, it's often a very high-profile industry. So, for example, you have the, the fashion shows in Paris and Milan and London, and they get an enormous amount of press coverage. So that really helps in creating a protectable goodwill. But if you have a, a, a more common or garden name, like, for example, Victoria, then normally what you try and do is combine that with something else. So, say, for example, Victoria's Secrets, so that you try and create a distinctive indicium that much more readily. Again, uh, Michael, looking at the world of fashion, and in particular for our US listeners, uh, trade dress protection um, is often used in the US to protect elements of fashion design, and it is often explained in similar terms to the protection of goodwill in the UK. Um, can you explain some of the similarities and differences between US trademark protection and the protection of goodwill under passing off in the UK? Well, while I'm not an expert on US trade dress, there does seem to be really quite a close analogy between that form of protection and the UK form of protection under the common law taught of passing off. But one of the great things about passing off is that it's incredibly flexible. And so therefore, unlike trademarks, which are bound up with a whole load of rules and regulations before you can get a registered right, passing off is free of those sorts of straitjackets. And so therefore, you can get a protectable goodwill in all sorts of things that historically you couldn't do with uh, registered trademarks. So for example, I've mentioned this already, the North Face case where the position of the mark upon the right shoulder of the garment was characteristic of those goods. No other garment had that position in. Um, you might also have a particular color combination where it's the combination of colors, regardless of how those colors are actually portrayed, which is protectable. What springs to mind here are the Olympic colors of black, red, green, blue, and yellow on a white background. So normally, of course, it's portrayed in circles, but it could be in solid um, blocks of color and things like that. And that's most likely would be protectable as well. But even a more exotic example would be uh, the positions of the buttons on the front of a garment. So instead of having the buttons singularly arranged, you have them arranged in pairs, or if you have them arranged in threes or fours or fives, then they would signify different things. Uh, that particular arrangement comes from the arrangement of buttons on the uniform, the dress uniform, of the guards in the English military. And you go from Grenadier, Coldstream, Scots, Irish and Welsh. Thanks, Michael. Are there any fashion cases in the UK that come to mind to you which turned on issues of goodwill and passing off? Well, a classic example from a few years ago would be the Karen Millen case. She had a very successful clothing business and then she sold it for really quite a lot of money to um, another company. But after a while, she decided she wanted to return to the fashion business herself. Now, she couldn't use, of course, Karen Millen as the name of her new entity because she had sold the rights to that to the other company. So what she wanted to do was to come back into the fashion industry using either her first name, Karen, or her initials, KM, because those weren't expressly sold uh, to the other company and were part of that deal. Uh, 
However, uh, the way in which the industry works and the way in which passing off works was that the rights that she sold were probably sufficiently wide to prevent her from re-entering the market even under a different um, indicium from the one that she had sold to the company originally. And one of the reasons for that is it's quite common in the fashion industry to go from um, a first name and a surname to just down to your first name if you become more and more famous, which she certainly had done, or correspondingly use the initials um, of Um, your name as opposed to the full name. Again, because she had become quite famous, those initials had become characteristic of her. And so therefore, the new owners were able to stop her from re-entering the market um, at a later time under those different indicia. Thanks very much, Michael, for answering our questions. And we hope that everyone's enjoyed this very short introduction um, to Goodwill. Um, That was our special 13th Fashionably IP podcast. um, And more will follow in the months to come from us. Um, Do please feel free to share this podcast and rate it on the various platforms which are available. Also feel free to download and listen to all of our previous podcasts. Thanks very much for listening and we do wish you some goodwill and again many thanks to Michael for coming on as our special guest. Uh, Thanks and goodbye. Thanks very much and thanks for inviting me. Bye everyone.